Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And conspicuous yet again by his absence. It is your coach. It is my coach. It is the coach. Coach Duffy, who is where, Pat? Uh, according to a text I got from uh, Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport, uh, he has been signed to a lucrative contract, although the numbers weren't disclosed, uh, to become a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Interesting. I know Coach has been working on the throwing arm. I just figured he was trying to do lob passes because he's getting ready for basketball season. But, hey, if he's going to be the third-string quarterback out there, congratulations to our coach. We'll have to get some live TikToks from him yeah. to keep us updated on what's going on because I know the ODPH Society has tuned in for this episode to talk some sports, so let's wait no longer, shall we? We are going to get deep diving into everything that is going on in the land of sports, like we said. So you know you need to swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in on Facebook. Join in on Twitter. Join in on Instagram. Join in on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there. And continue that conversation going. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. Because kicking off the sports edition of the ODPH Podcast this week Uh is some NFL news. Yeah, this is possibly the wildest story I've heard in quite some time with the NFL. And that's saying something. Yeah, it is, because we figured, okay, we'd be talking some NBA, we'd be talking some AEW kicking off the show, but man. Julio Jones decided to hook us up. Julio Jones decided to give a soundbite that I don't know if he was really planning on giving. Yeah, there's some legal questions behind this, which we got to wait and see and find out. Yo, boy. Yeah, so, Pad, why don't you break it down for us? So, I guess over the weekend, I'm not sure what day it was, because I'll be honest, this didn't even hit my radar until I got the notification on my phone on Monday from ESPN that, and this wasn't what the notification was about, but I guess over the weekend, Julio Jones was spotted out in public wearing a uh, Dallas Cowboys shirt. Mm-hmm. And it and it's been known and rumored that the Falcons were looking at shopping Julio Jones and looking at landing spots for him. And there was like a half a dozen to a dozen teams that were involved or, or interested. And it was everything from like the Tennessee Titans, the Patriots, and a whole, whole host of others. So he got spotted out over the weekend wearing a Dallas Cowboys t-shirt Come Monday, of course, you know, the the morning sports talk programs, the radio shows and the television shows are going to be discussing it. First take, you know, the the national radio programs. And then the one we're going to focus on is uh, Undisputed on the Fox Sports Network with uh, hosts Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp. Mm -hmm. Um, We're discussing it and and figuring out where's he going to go, what's going to happen. And Shannon just goes, here, let's find out. Takes out his phone. And I'm not bullshitting this, folks. If I could play the audio and not get into legal problems with, like, copyrighted material, I would. Dig it up for yourself. You can YouTube it. It's on. It's all over the web. Shannon Sharp pulls out his phone. This part doesn't surprise me. Dials Julio Jones. Mm-hmm. Again, doesn't surprise me that Shannon Sharp has his phone. A lot of uh, players have respect for Shannon Sharp. Dials Julio Jones. 
and Skip Bayless and the host, uh, the hostess there are sitting there going, oh, please pick up, please pick up. Like, th- no, this I don't think was planned. No, it d- definitely you, didn't feel planned. You know, nobody's uh, for as much attention as it's getting, nobody's coming out and saying if it was planned or not. But Shannon dials Julio. Julio picks up. And then, of course, you know, the compliment, the, the customary greetings. Oh, hey, what's going on? Oh, not much. Oh, on my way to, I think he said he was going to his brother-in-law somewhere. He goes, listen, you want you want to play for Dallas? You want out of Atlanta? What's going on? And Julio just goes, nah, man, I'm gone. I want out. Very interesting way to announce that. And yeah. obviously it didn't seem planned. No. If this was, this is one hell of a PR stunt by his team. Yeah. If that is the case. But it didn't feel like it. And obviously when Sharp asked him flat out, what are you doing? And he said, I'm out. That is sending a big ripple effect throughout the entire NFL. Right. Julio Jones has been one of the top wide receivers in the league for quite oh, some God, time now. Yeah. yeah. And he's been a long stay weapon in Atlanta for their offense. Yeah, like the, to it, take it, him out of there is a complete dynamic yeah. changer for them. Yeah, and he's a great wide receiver. Never been, you know, the greatest wide receiver of his generation. Just it's circumstance of time. You know, it's much like Andy Roddick in tennis. Andy Roddick was a great tennis player, just circumstances of when he was born and when he played, he never rose to the fame he could have. Julio Jones, great player, but you got to remember he's played in the era where Megatron was around for most of his career. Mm -hmm. He has definitely been a staple in the NFL talks for best wide receiver in the league year in and year out. Definitely a first-round fantasy pick. Yes, and he has definitely led the NFL in receiving yards a couple years. Um, I know in 2015 he uh, had 1,871 yards. Right. 2018, 1,677. And he has definitely made his appearance in the Pro Bowl throughout those years. Yeah. He has been a game-changing wide receiver. So to hear him say that he's out of Atlanta, and we know that we heard some rumblings that they were entertaining calls from other teams about his services because to take him off the books would be a cap relief for Atlanta. Mm -hmm. But then again, this poses a question. Okay, you move him. What does that mean for Atlanta's offense moving forward? Right. Because, I mean, I know you just drafted the best tight end in the, in the NFL draft. Yep. But there's still a lot to ask of him yeah. to take over. Matt Ryan is not exactly a spring chicken. No. I mean, the thing with the Falcons is they're not the, – to us, they're, they're there. I just don't think the front office wants to admit it yet. They, they're in a rebuilding phase. Mm-hmm. You know, Matt Ryan, a lot of tread on the tires. More years behind him than he has ahead of him. They're they're in the they're in the presence of needing to do a rebuild, you know, and bring in some young talent, some new faces around them. I just don't think they've come out and said it yet. So this would just be uh, maybe a further acknowledgement of yeah, no, we're in a rebuilding phase. Well, I think we all know that that window that got them to the Super Bowl has shut. Yeah, and I know that we always say on the show, "Who is Atlanta? What is Atlanta?" Because on paper. They should be one of the top teams in the league. Oh my God! Yeah, they have talent on both sides of the ball. Oh my God! They had the running game. They had the t- they had the tight end with uh, what was it? Tony Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you had the receiving core, and the defense was pretty damn good too. Like all the pieces were there. That barring any surprise upset, you know, you should run the table. You absolutely should. But now you're going into this upcoming season, arguably now forced to move your star wide receiver. And you're going to be asking a lot of Calvin Ridley, who is still an up-and-coming wide receiver in his own right. Yep. Russell Gage is the next 
wide receiver on their depth chart. Yep. Still asking a lot from him. Kyle Pitts is the tight end that we were referring to in the NFL draft. Right. Which on paper is was the smart move for them to take. Right. But you're also asking a lot of him to come out. Right. And it's going to be an adjustment period for him coming out of college into the pro system. Yes. So for Matt Ryan, who, like we said, is an aging quarterback, still has some zip on the ball. Sure. So it's not like sure. father time has caught him just yet, but he's on the way. Yeah. Well, and especially, too, you have to be on your A game in that NFC conference because it's not like they can just coast and do what they want and land at the three seed. Mm. You know, you've got in your in hell in your own division, you've got Tom Brady still playing there and showing no signs or indications that he wants to retire. Now you look at some of the other teams, they've got, you've got the new Orleans saints who let's face it. You don't know what you're going to get out of them this coming year. Drew Brees is retired. Jameis Winston is stepping in. Will it be the Jameis Winston of old, or will it be the new and improved great under Sean Payton, mm. Jameis Winston? We'll see. Uh, and then you've got the Carolina Panthers, who've got Christian McCaffrey, who's great. and they, But they've got the new quarterback in Sam Darnold, which, again, Sam Darnold, not great with the Jets. We'll see when he gets to Carolina. But then you just look at the rest of the division. Okay, you're going to have to fight with some of those higher-seeded Spots in the playoffs with you got the NFC East, which Dallas, you're going to have Dak returning, hopefully healthy and ready to go. You've got the Giants who are going to make a run. Philly ain't going to exactly lay around and, and lie over. And then you got Washington. And then you've got obviously the NFC North and NFC West who ain't no slouches either. No, the NFC West is one of the toughest divisions in all of football. Yeah. So to say that Atlanta moving Julio Jones would be a game changing move is very, very underrated. Yeah. And I think that you have to really understand the gravity of that situation because that basically would take them out of playoff contention, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, it'd make it real difficult. Yeah, I don't think that there's any chance that they would be able to overcome this this season. I mean, it would be a lot to ask, but as it, we... It's doable, but you would need a lot of lucky rolls of the dice. It would be a lot of lucky rolls of the dice, but let's face it, this team has been so inconsistent uh-huh. that I can't say in good faith that they would be able to overcome this. No. I think that no. you you would have them continue to play, and they would hang with the best of the best. But then again, this is a game of wins and losses, not participation trophies. Right, and even if you just pay attention to the, to the sport, to the sport, you know, even if you're a Falcons fan, we know a couple fans who are Falcons fans. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest complaints they have about that team is just the inconsistencies on offense, where they could have a great first half, and absolutely shit the bed in the second half, and it's like, wait, are you the same team, or did you get replaced by imposters? Yeah. Or it could be flipped, vice versa, shit second half, first half, and then you come out of the gates firing, trying to play catch, and you go, holy shit, where was this the entire first half? You you know, you take out Julio Jones, who's going to keep you in a lot of games. Mm-hmm. You know, Calvin Ridley may be able to step up and do be fill that number one slot role. Who knows? You know, until it actually happens, it's hard to say. But taking out Julio Jones is going to knock you down a few pegs. It definitely is. And then to flip it to the other question that comes with this, where does Atlanta move him to? Boy, I don't know, because you're going to have to give up not a ton, but probably a first or a couple firsts and a second. I believe the early asking price Atlanta was rumored to be throwing out there was they wanted a first-round pick for him. Right. With... It, well, and it's also going to have to be a team that has the cap space to do it or get creative. Yeah, because there's been a few teams that have been thrown around quite heavily. One is your New England Patriots. Uh, yes, please. Which yes, please. I think would be a smart move for them. Which, from what I've seen on Twitter, they could make it happen. They just have to move a player. That they, that they have the draft picks, they could do it. It's just with all the money they spent and the way the draft, the salary cap is looking, they would have to move a a player who is on the books 
to for the salary cap this year. Yeah, and it's not to say it's all the Roma thought, as we've seen this year with the Patriots. Yeah, they have taken the time to really build via free agency instead of the draft. And yeah. like I say, this is not a knock on them. I just want to make sure because a lot of times I hear, "Well, I'm ripping the Patriots on how they do this business." No, I'm not. They built a dynasty. As a Bills fan, yeah. I admit this. This is a different way the Patriots are going about their business. And yeah. if they could acquire Julio Jones, especially with Mac Jones, uh-huh. now eventually could be taken over the reins because Julio is 32, uh-huh. still has some time to help groom a young quarterback. Right, and they've got the, some, the new wide receiver core, essentially. You know, Julian Edelman is gone, but they've got Nelson Aguilar. Mm-hmm. They've got, I would have to look it up if I'm blanking on names, but you've got those other wide receivers they just brought in. So Julio can be the deep threat. Julio can be the bomb guy or whatever you need him to be. He doesn't have to be what he is in Atlanta that is the go-to guy. you got to get open. you got to catch every pass because, let's face it, we don't know what else we're going to get from the other guys. Yeah, I mean, that's something that you know with Julio Jones' pedigree. Multi-year pro bowler. Yeah. Setting single stats records for yards receptions and just bringing another dynamic to your team. That's why this move is so big and game-changing. I know a couple of teams that have been thrown around have been the L.A. Chargers. Yeah, Titans have been thrown in there. The Titans, I think, is a very intriguing move. I know I'm going to get a message from our guy JT from East Coast Avengers about this, saying make it happen. But I will say this. That's the one thing that Tennessee lacks is a wide receiver threat, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, no, they've got some decent receivers, but nothing that ever like sit, uh, stands out to me and goes, holy shit, double cover this guy, or you got to get this guy in the first two rounds of their fantasy draft. Well, you think about Tennessee's offense, and it's two words, Derrick Henry. Uh, yeah. Which, if you have the best running back in the league, that does get you far. But if you can have an offensive threat like Julio Jones on the other side of the field from him, that he is able to take some pressure off that, right? It, it's a game changer. Yeah, and I mean, I'm pulling up the stats for their uh, receivers here. So you've got A.J. Brown, who last year had 70 catches for 1,075 yards and 11 touchdowns. Pretty good numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, first three rounds draft pick, I would say. Uh, then you've got Josh Reynolds, uh, who had 52 catches for 618 yards and two touchdowns. Okay. Uh, then you've got a gentleman by the name of Des Fitzpatrick, who was uh, drafted this year, so no stats in the NFL quite yet. Uh, and then you've got a gentleman by the, uh, their tight end is Anthony uh, Fersker, uh, F-I-R-K-S-E-R, uh, who last year had 39 catches for 387 yards and one touchdown. So, of course, Tennessee, I believe, lost their tight end uh, to New England, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, right now, it's cover A.J. Brown, try and let the other guys beat us over the top, because let's face it, they might not. There's one other team that I have been hearing a lot about lately that might be able to swing this too, and that's Jacksonville. Yo. Now, you think about this, and I am not putting this out of Urban Meyer's realm of thought. You have Trevor Lawrence coming into the league. Yep. You have a brand new offensive dynamic, and no, I'm not meaning Tim Tebow, but you have a whole new system coming into play. If you can get Trevor Lawrence, Julio Jones as a number one threat, how much of a game changer is that for your team, which is not expected to win now? But if you add him, does that change the narrative? Well, first of all, I'm going to say, in case you haven't figured it out, folks, if Tim Tebow makes it to the regular season and makes it on the starting roster and gets in a game and Trevor Lawrence throws a touchdown pass to Tim Tebow, 
turn off the internet for like two weeks because it's going to be fucking obnoxious. You thought SportsCenter was bad when they did an entire hour devoted to Tim Tebow back in the day? It's going to be two weeks worth. Uh, that being said, I can see the Jaguars thing happening because they don't need to move a lot to make it happen. Because uh, as we record, I'm looking on Spotrack.com. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars currently have the number one spot in terms of most cap space uh, with $13.34 million. And the thing with Julio is, and I'm reading from an article courtesy of CBSSports.com, uh, if he, meaning Julio Jones, is traded this offseason, it will take a team willing to give up potentially a second-round pick and having room for the $15.3 million base salary that comes with Jones. Jacksonville can make it work and really not have to move, you know, heaven, hell, and earth to get it to happen. No, and if it, just if they have draft picks, that's the only thing. Well, I think that they are be savvy enough to take a shot with it because, like I said, you have a brand new offense coming in. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Trevor Lawrence. We talked about have a whole new team. Travis Etienne, his running back from college, is also on the yeah. team with him too. Yeah, I mean, that's a solid one-two punch. But after that, your wide receiver core: Marvin Jones Jr. Yeah, DJ Clark Jr. Yeah. yeah. You know, or Chark Jr., I should say. It doesn't have that big pop to it. Yeah, I'm saying you're not putting banners outside the stadium going, yo, check out our receivers. Yeah, so that being said, if you put him, as in Julio Jones, with them, that's a game changer right there. You ha- As a front office, you have to have that conversation with Atlanta and at least try because let's face it, Atlanta might be willing to make it happen because it's not, you know, as if the, the New Orleans Saints are calling. Right. It's not as if the Carolina Panthers are calling. So it's, you know, it's not an in-division rival. It's someone in, in a separate conference that, let's face it, you'd play, you know, once every three, four years. So wouldn't exactly burn you. But if you're Jacksonville's front office, you have to have that conversation because you were doing your team and the fans a disservice to it, not at least try. Mm-hmm. No, you definitely got to take that shot with it. And Jacksonville, that would be a smart move to do. Because Atlanta, in my opinion, cannot trade him anywhere in the NFC. No. It'd be a dumb move. I will rip them to shreds on this podcast. I mean, let's face it, it wouldn't be the worst thing that's ever happened to them. No, it definitely wouldn't. But you have to think about it in that perspective that, okay, if Atlanta wants to contend, and obviously if you're playing to be in the NFL, you're playing to win games, you're playing to contend. Sorry, it is what it is. Can I just say, if he ends up going to New England and, like, part of me hopes it does happen, and if it doesn't, I'm not going to be upset about it. It is what it is. To me, that would just be the funniest fucking thing in the world. That, like, you come in, you play the Patriots in the Super Bowl, we come back in the greatest Super Bowl comeback, if not the greatest sports comeback of all time. Mm. That's not named the Oilers versus the Bills. Um, but, like, the Patriots come back and beat you, and then, like, however many years it is down the road, we take your top wide receiver away from you. That would just be the funniest shit in the world. It's a Belichick move. That's why I say, like, I'm not doubting it's going to happen. If he, It's a Bill Stimmy check move. But that's what needs to happen is if you're Atlanta, you got to move into the AFC. Yeah, I mean, because let's just look at things. Uh, well, and we should get back because the whole Dallas thing. Uh, it was brought up about the Dallas thing, and he eventually did answer the question. Uh, he said, nah, I ain't going to Dallas. I never thought I was going to Dallas. It turns out he had a uh, Dallas T-shirt on because he was at a function over the weekend uh, involving several Dallas Cowboys players and just wore it to go alongside with them. Um, so, but you look at kind of the uh, so the NFC, not, not going to Dallas. Christ knows they don't need him. Um, Giants, maybe. I don't know if they got the cap space. Coach ain't here, so he can't tell me. Don't see him going to Philly. Don't see him going to Washington. Bears, 
Right no way in hell he's going to the Bears. That's that's just trading one sh- shit situation for another one. Yeah, I mean, that would be a smart move for Fields, but I don't think yeah. they're going to do it, though. Uh, Detroit, no. I mean, again, not a great situation to go into. I know they've got golf, but yeah, you know you know, Detroit's he's been around enough, and he was playing when Megatron was playing, and he can talk to Megatron and be like, yeah, Megatron's going to tell him, nah, don't do it. Uh, Green Bay. Could see it happening if, if he was guaranteed Rodgers would play there, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Minnesota? No, probably not. He ain't he ain't going nowhere in the NFC uh, South. You know, Atlanta controls his fate right now. He ain't going nowhere in the NFC South. Mm-hmm. And then in the NFC West, like I said yesterday to a couple people, because there's there's the if if Julio goes to the Falcons, or not the Falcons, Julio goes to the Cardinals, I will eat my goddamn shoe. I swear to God I will. Because you just look at what they will have on that fucking offense. I will eat my fucking shoe. Well, I know that it came out when DeAndre Hopkins caught wind that Julio wanted out. He has said he's being, he is willing to restructure his contract. And that would be arguably the best tandem of wide receivers in the NFL if he uh-huh. wound up in Arizona. Uh-huh. There is no question, no doubt, it's, it's a wrap. Those two on the same team... They are the best wide receiving core in the NFL. No, yeah, and it was funny because DeAndre Hopkins posted a photo from uh, the Pro Bowl with Julio and, and a, uh, Michael Irving and a, whole, and a couple others. Uh, and DeAndre goes, Julio, you remember what we talked about? Tay Adams uh, from the Green Bay Packers chimed in, yeah, chill, LOL. Mm-hmm. Jalen Ramsey commented, relax. Juju Smith-Schuster commented and said, D-Hop recruiting everyone with two crying while laughing emojis. And then Muhammad Sanu uh, commented, LMAO, nah, uh, MFS, you can fill that in for yourself, Mm -hmm. making super teams now with five crying while laughing emojis. That's the whole thing, that this would be a super team. No, it would be. The only thing that would be holding up Arizona is they still have line issues, in my opinion, and I'm not really scared of their running game. Yeah. But then again, if you have those two guys on the corners... You don't really need a running game. This will be like when Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald were there. Well, fuck, you got DeAndre Hopkins and you, and you got A.J. Green, which if he's anything akin to the A.J. Green of old, fuck. Yeah, that would be your three. Because right now your third receiver is a Jew dude named Christian Kirk, which I'm sorry, to, apologies to Christian Kirk and his friends and family. He ain't no Julio Jones. No, he's not on there. And that's why I say it's such a game changer if he wound up there. I mean, that would be the only team I could see him going to in the NFC, in my opinion. The AFC... Patriots are in the t- conversation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tennessee would be the smart move. That's where I think would make the most sense mm-hmm. on a whole bunch of different ideas. But to relieve that pressure off Derrick Henry, I think Tennessee has to make that call yeah. and see what they can pull for it. In Tennessee, I think for if, if, if he ends up meeting or just sitting down with representatives from, let's just say it comes down to New England and Tennessee, New England's an easier sell to Julio than Tennessee. No disrespect to the Titans, but they can just sit there and go, listen, look at our track record. Look at our history. You come here, you know you're going to contend. We're going to make the playoffs barring, you know, the nonsense that happened last year. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, we're building for the future. We got all these parts around us, this and that. Tennessee, I think, is a little bit of a harder sell because they're unproven. Yeah, they made it to the playoffs a couple of times, but they haven't done it consistently enough. They haven't done it consistently enough, but there's such a team on the rise. Oh, yeah. That I think... That they will look that he would have to look at that and say, okay, pick your poison. Yeah. Do you want to go and face Houston, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, mm-hmm. or do you want to go face the Patriots, the Bills, Miami, and, and the Jets? Yeah. Yes. If he was going to join the Patriots, I'm sorry, he'd why there. Yeah. So there's three teams there. Yeah. 
Either way, it's pick your poison. Right. You've got two really good teams in each division and one that's, eh. Let's say, uh, Randy Moss, how close are you with uh, Julio Jones? Can you put in a call for uh, the Patriots there? It could definitely be, it could be something to watch when it happens because June 1st, I believe, is when he's allowed to make some moves. Well, I'm not sure on that. I just know that this news isn't new news to the Cardinals, or not the Cardinals, the Falcons, because it did come out from, I believe it was Ian Rappaport, who said, no, yeah, the Falcons knew that he wanted to be traded, and he told them as much a couple weeks or maybe a couple months ago, and they've been working on it since, so this isn't news. No, it really isn't news, but to come out publicly as it did. No, it, it wasn't news to them. It's news to us. Yeah, it's news to us, but like I say, June 1st is when they'd be a lot of cap relief for him to move. Right. So... That's going to be the day we're going to have circle because I think they're going to want to move him quick if they're going to move him at all. And then the question is, where does he go? Because it would make a lot of sense in the NFC. If he can pull it off in Arizona, that's a game changer. That's that's fucking absurd. I will eat my goddamn shoe. Yeah, if he goes to the AFC, it's going to be one of three teams. I'm going to call it right now. It's going to be either the Patriots, it's right. going to be Tennessee, or I'm saying Jacksonville, if they can pull some miracle out-of-nowhere deal and trade two number ones, I know it might sound a little hefty. Yeah. But if you got the chance to win it, you got your all pro quarterback in training. You have a stud for running back. You need that other piece to balance it out. You can contend in that division right. easily. But that's why I think for Tennessee, it's smarter to make the move for it. The only other spot that I think would be an excellent place for him to wind up is Green Bay. Mm. But that mess is getting stranger by the day. Yeah, and I'm just looking at Spotrack.com. Green Bay ain't got the cap space for it. And, and I'm just going to stop this shit right now because it hasn't been said yet, but I know somebody's going to say it. He ain't going to fucking Tampa Bay. They ain't got the cap space. No, he's not going to go to Tampa Bay. There's no way. The, um, inter, inter division inter, again. Inter division ain't going to happen, and I'm going to stop that shit right now. No, but definitely we can talk about Green Bay and the mess that's going on there because Aaron Rodgers has finally made – a public statement. So he's he's made the first move in the game of chess that is ongoing. Uh, so yeah, uh, optional OTAs, uh, organized team activities uh, were uh, took place yesterday for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, now Aaron Rodgers, who has been a mainstay uh, for Green Bay uh, optional OTAs, uh, has always been there, always made them no matter what. Uh, did not show uh, yesterday to the optional OTAs, and, and it, so that was a little bit noteworthy. It was kind of you know, everyone kind of wondered, all right, is this just kind of everyone puffing up their chests and being real tough, and, and just trying to flex and show off, or is this actually something behind it? So it, you know, this appears that nah, Rogers ain't bullshitting. You know, granted, they're optional; he doesn't have to be there, but. It's telling when you have a guy, because I think it happened to Brady at one point in the last couple of years he was in New England, that he was always at OTAs, and then the last couple of years he didn't show for the OTA, optional OTAs. Mm. But it, it's telling when you have a guy of Rodgers' caliber that is there every year for optional OTAs, and then all of a sudden with everything going on, doesn't show. Uh, and in fact, he appeared on SportsCenter last night because it was Kenny Mayne's final show. Uh, and he was there to kind of bid farewell to Kenny Mayne and, and hey, you know, good luck and all that. But obviously the, the whole situation with Green Bay did come up and he had, had some things to say, you know, basically that, listen, it's not about the draft pick and this and that. It's just a messy situation. It definitely is. He downplayed any issue with Jordan Love and he was downplaying about the draft, Yeah, which has been long rumored that that might be the reason why. No, yeah. I mean, everybody knows he's pissed off at the GM. And he's, yeah. and he's mad that he hasn't gotten any help over the past yeah. couple of years. And I, and I mean, Kenny Mang came, you know, they exchanged pleasantries. Uh, hey, hi, how you doing? How's, how's the uh, fiance? How's, how's the family? Uh, but Kenny Mang cut straight to it. Quote, are you demanding a trade? 
Here's Rogers quote, quote, with my situation, look, it's never been about the draft pick picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. A lot of fun to work together. I love the coaching staff, love my teammates, love the fan base in green Bay. It's been an incredible, it's been an incredible 16 years. Close quote. No, you didn't say the organization. Uh-huh. Just saying, but he's going to take the classy road. If anybody thought that he was going to come out and completely bury them, I'm sorry. Yeah. He's not going to do it. But him not showing up at the OTAs definitely stands out. And it is noteworthy because he's been a long staple of those to build that team up and get him every ready way to go that he can. But to see him not show up, yeah, it definitely is a huge sign that isn't a sign. Yeah, and, and Main, Kenny Main did kind of get into the whole why he's unhappy. Uh, and he and Rodgers didn't get into specifics, but he did say the rift was, uh, quote, put in motion last year. He said, quote, uh, it's just about, uh, it's just kind of about a philosophy and maybe forgetting it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing the things the right way. A lot, uh, a lot of this was put in motion last year. The, uh, the wrench was just kind of kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played the way I played last year. This is just kind of the spill of out of all of that. But look, it's about the people. It's a, and that's the most important thing. Green Bay has always been about the people, close quote. And that's where he's going to stand with it too. I just think that it's ultimately going to come down to is the GM staying or is he going? Because should I stay or should I go? Dun, 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 dun. And that is fact. Because I think if you move the GM, all these problems miraculously go away. Uh huh. But I don't know if an organization is willing to do it. We have talked about this in the past that if Green Bay caves in to a player's demand, what kind of precedent does this set? Well, so yeah, because Rodgers isn't pissed off at the coach. It's got nothing to do with the coaching staff, which is, you know, goes against what it's been prior before uh, this year, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't hate the people because he went on to say culture is built brick by brick. Uh, the foundation of it by it's by the people, not by the organization, not by the building, not by the corporation. It's built by the people. Yeah. So, so he, he ain't exactly praising the organization, which is telling. Well, it's very telling, but everybody knows that he wants the GM gone. And I just don't know if he's going to be able to pull that. I mean, that is just one of the biggest showdowns we're going to see in professional sports. Yeah. Because we've seen instances like this happen in the NBA, but that's more of a player's league. The players do run the league. The NFL has not been that friendly right? in that aspect. Right. So I don't know how we're, this is all going to shape out. I mean, you've seen guys in the NFL force their way out of a team. Yeah. You know, for, but no player that I can ever remember has gone – this front office person needs to go. Yeah, it has never been this outright. There is one person that is the antagonist. They may about they this. may not like him and they may hate him, but even even Terrell Owens and Chad Johnson, for all their antics and all their nonsense and, and hating people, you know, never wanted a front office guy gone. No, they never have publicly called it out. They voiced their displeasure about ownership and coaching coaches and what have you, but they've never sat. You know, Terrell Owens, his entire time when he was a Philly never said Andy Reid needs to get fired no he definitely did I mean and Rogers now publicly came out and said it but it's been leaked enough uh-huh. that everybody knows he ain't denied it yet 
yeah, he's not exactly said I never said it, but he's not coming out to even talk about it at all. But him not being at the OTAs is definitely something to be a little worrisome about if you're a Packers fan. Not to say that he's going to demand a trade or anything in that variation, but the situation is not getting better. And as we are getting closer to the start of the season, uh-huh. if this isn't remedied by the start of preseason, awkward, it's going to get worse in a real hurry. So many questions coming from this offseason already, and we are just getting started with OTAs. This is absolutely mind-blowing, but we want to hear from you, ODPH Society. What is your thoughts about Julio Jones, and what is your thoughts about Aaron Rodgers' comments? Do they really put you at ease if you're a Packers fan? Are you getting worked up about it that he's going to leave? Are both of them going to wind up in the Patriots? Please no, please no, please no. Make it happen. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. Give us your thoughts about the latest NFL news. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, welcome to The Jury Room, a true crime podcast. My name is Kevin, and I will be your host on this journey. We will be covering some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever be committed against humanity. We will be covering cannibalistic serial killers, decades-old unsolved mysteries, cold cases, missing person cases, and everything in between. The Jury Room Podcast is available on most major podcasting platforms. Please make sure you go subscribe and leave a review. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast, and we have to talk some basketball. Uh, we got to call it Jimmy Butler, too, uh, because it's playoff Jimmy. Of course, we, I think we talked about it on last week's show. Playoff mode, they said, quote, I'm, I think I'm stupidly locked in. Uh, he's stupidly locked in to 25% from the field. Step your game up, my guy. It has been a rough start for some teams in those NBA playoffs. So we want to kind of give you a recap of what's been going on, and you know – you know we got something to say about that Atlanta-New York Knicks series. I mean, do we? Ho-hum. Oh. Ho-hum. Oh, we do. Ho-hum. Yeah, let, uh, let's start with the playing tournament because that was what took place first uh, since we recorded. Uh, out west, you had the Memphis Grizzlies defeat the San Antonio Spurs. Score doesn't matter. It's just results, uh, which the surprising thing I saw was that this is the first time in I want to say it was like 50 or 60 years, whatever it was, that the Spurs have missed consecutive playoffs which very surprising that that stat even exists. But then again, it's Popovich, so very surprising. Yeah, it's surprising, but, I mean, they are not the dynasty that they once were. It's No. It's just its transition phase. They're just no, still yeah, not yeah. out of it yet. Uh, and then you had the uh, Los Angeles Lakers defeat the Golden State Warriors. Uh, so Memphis moved on to uh, the first round to play Utah. San Antonio moved on to the second round of the play-in tournament. Uh, the Lakers moved on to play Phoenix, and then Golden State moved on to play Memphis in the second round of the play-in tournament. Uh, and then with that series, so we can just finalize the Western Conference, you had the Memphis Grizzlies uh, defeat the uh, Golden State Warriors, uh, eliminating the Golden State Warriors from playoff contention, uh, and to move on to play the Utah Jazz in the first round of the Western Conference uh, playoffs. Uh, Steph Curry already in uh, hashtag off season uh, hopped, yeah. hopped on Instagram with uh, some dude named Jake Cole because off season 
Thought, yes. it, thought it was pretty funny. Album solid too. Uh, off in, out in the east, you had the uh, where, there it is, Boston Celtics defeat the Washington Wizards to advance to the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs. They are uh, playing the Brooklyn Nets, uh, and the Washington Wizards advance to the second round of the uh, playing tournament. Then you had the where are they? Uh, no. No. Oh, there, there it is. Uh, Indiana beat Charlotte to advance to the second round of the playing tournament. Uh, uh, Charlotte was eliminated, and then with the so then the second round of the playing tournament, you had Indiana playing Washington. Uh, Washington defeated Indiana to advance to the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs uh, to face Philly. So, shall we get into the the game that everybody wants to talk about? Uh, sure. Uh, the thoughts, views, and opinions are that of Ken M, and do not necessarily reflect that of the ODPH, although they do reflect the views of Coach Duffy, just saying that. Uh, listener discretion is advised. Shout out to Mackies from the We Get Dub podcast, too, because we are New York Knicks forever. Okay, so game one, the garden was rocking. Atlanta came in. It's like 15, if I remember the, reading the numbers right, 15,000 plus people packed into Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Uh, the largest indoor gathering in the state of New York since the pandemic uh, began. And I know some people were confused with the Madison Square Garden situation because photos were circulating about how packed people together were. And, oh, my God, how can that happen? Uh, Gov- New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo put a thing in. Uh, on his Twitter account, you can go back and look at it, and he, where he congratulated uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Knicks uh, on making the playoffs. He I, he believed said I believe the capacity for the their respective arenas could be at fifty percent, mm. and that sections could be uh, for vaccinated folks, so no social distancing, no masks required. And then you could have sections for uh, not vaccinated folks where you had to have masks and social distancing, and it was up to the teams how those sections were divvied up. So I believe the way it worked for the Knicks was they just split the arena in half and went, this side's vaccinated, that side's not. And for the Knicks, uh, New York State has got this app on your phone where you can... Uh, Excelsior Pass. It's called Excelsior Pass. If you have an uh, Apple or Android or whatever phone, you can look up the thing yourself. Basically, you go on a site, you get the uh, your... Uh, COVID vaccination card put onto your phone and you can show the somebody and they can scan a QR code and go, all right, you're good. So that's how they were, pro- they were proving they were vaccinated. But 15,000 people in the garden, it sounded good. 15,000 people were ready for this. It's been how long since we have been in the playoffs? Uh, Eight years? Seven years, because it was 2014, I believe, was the last year they were in. It feels longer because this team definitely has a different vibe to it. And that's why we talk about it on this podcast all the time. This team has a different vibe. Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose have done an amazing job turning this ship around. I'll say if it weren't for other circumstances going on in the NBA, I would say Tom Thibodeau should win Coach of the Year. Oh, I agree. He's got he's in the conversation. Oh, like, no, if, yeah, if, yeah. If he doesn't win and, and Williams wins out of um, Phoenix, I have no issue with it. none because he is worthy as well. But Thibodeau has definitely turned this team around, and to see what we got out of them on uh, Sunday night, listen. This is a team that definitely was feeling the pressure of being in the playoffs. They looked at Julius Randle had an awful game. Yeah. Uh, 30 played, what is it, 36 minutes, uh, only scored 15 points, was 6 of 23 from the field, 2 of 6 from three-point uh, land, and then 1 of 2 from the line uh, with 
uh, 12 rebounds, four assists, no steals, no blocks. And then, oh, Paige just jumped on me. Give me a second. Uh, three turnovers. Yeah, so when all of this was going on, the New York Knicks bench carried this damn team. Yeah, I was say looking at so this uh, starting five for the Knicks were Julius Randle, uh, Bullock, uh, Nerlens. Is that Nerlens yep. Noel? Son mm-hmm. of a bitch! I didn't know he was on the team. Oh yeah, Nerlens Noel. Elf, Renaissance uh, he's having. I'd say so. Uh, if he's making the starting five in a playoff game. Yeah. Uh, Peyton and then R.J. Barrett. So on the bench, uh, notables, you had uh, one Derrick Rose mm-hmm. uh, score 17 points in uh, 38 minutes. Uh, and then you had uh, a gentleman by the last name of Burks. Alec Burks. Alec Burks in 26 minutes put up 27 points. Folks, that's basically like a point a minute. Let me break it down a little even further for you. I'll say you're the expert. The final score was Atlanta 107, the Knicks 105. Off the New York Knicks bench, the bench put up 64 points. Uh-huh. Let that sink in. I'm not mad about that. Burks had the career game of his life. I am definitely not mad at him. Quickly played phenomenal and hit jumpers when he needed to hit them. He was on point. Derek Rose. We want to talk about a renaissance man? Uh, yeah. Amazing performance when he came in 38 minutes. 17 points. Yeah. All I ask. I mean, even when Toppin came in and did a monster dunk and got the whole garden exploding. Even though, I will say, the dunk of the night went to R.J. Barrett. And Coach and I will say this. I saw that highlight. Coach and I will say this. If you weren't with him in the beginning of the season, don't jump on the bandwagon now. We make this point very, very clear. Because RJ has been playing better. And I mean, you got to cut him some slack. He was drafted 2019. It's his first career playoff game and the first playoff game for the Knicks in seven years. It's going to be a bit of an overwhelming situation. I don't care where you played college ball. Exactly. Well, that's the whole point. But this season, I know there's been certain Knicks fans that have been absolutely just abs- tearing him down left and right. And it, what the it was the worst draft pick ever. I'm sorry. The kid showed up here. He was doing what he could. I am not mad at his performance. Julius Randle had a bad night. Yeah. I accept that. Because here's the one thing we need to remember, too. For as bad of a night as he had, had he hit half of the shots he took, they would have blown out the Hawks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The score's a lot closer than it should have been for the Hawks. Yes. Because the Hawks, I will give them credit. They took advantage when the Knicks gave up on their defense. And there was a few times that they were leaving Bogdanovich in the corner by himself. Right. Completely to shoot the lights out. I know Gallinari was like a ghost of the past. The one shot he hit, I was like. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the box score. Trey Young was their leading uh, scorer with 32 points. Uh, In second place, you had a gentleman by the last name of Williams who scored 13. Uh, Or no, excuse me. uh, Bogdanovich was second with 18 points. Third place was a gentleman by the name of uh, Williams off the bench. That was a mighty Lou Williams. Lou Williams with 13 points. And then uh, Collins was after that with 12 points. So just looking at that, Trey Young was the only reason they, they, they won that game. If you cut Trey Young's points in half, the Knicks win by 10, 15 points. Yes. Atlanta has a very forgettable offense and defense. I'm sorry. They are not standing out on any highlight reel that is why Pat has a tough time remembering who they are. I have a tough time remembering anybody else not named Trey Young on this team because they don't scare me at all. But the fact that Trey Young, I will give him his credit. He played a great game. Albeit, though, went looking for fouls way too much. 
And it's something I cannot stand in the NBA. When you go for the lean-in foul shot. Right. When you're trying to get a call, and there was a couple, especially late in the stretch two, that he got in his favor that, I'm sorry, you the officiating crew, I have to be a little critical about that because they were letting both teams, both teams, have hard fouls and play tough. So to call that one foul late with a minute left, and you saw it was a, it looked, I'm, I'm saying in my opinion, it kind of looked like a flop. It wasn't a full, he went rolling on the ground, right. selling it like the rock guy stunner from Stolen Coast Steve Austin, but he gave up a bullshit foul yeah. that he got called and went right to the bench for. And I will say when the Knicks had the lead and they were holding it late, they had an error of judgment on defense. The hiccups they were having on defense was uncharacteristic of this team since they finally started gelling and putting it together. I mean, I'll be honest. Ken hit the nail on the head. I don't know that much about the Hawks. I am not a Hawks fan. I'll be honest. I thought Dominique Wilkins was still on the team. Yeah, because they are very forgettable. Sorry to all our fans in Atlanta that listen to this podcast, but it's true. There is nobody on your team other than Trey Young that is a threat to anybody in this league. I'm sorry. I'll be the first one to say it. Capella's not scaring me at all. No. Bogdanovich, hey, he's he, he hits clutch shots when you leave him wide open in the corners. Other than that, I wasn't even worried about him on the roster. And Luke Williams, I forgot, was still on his team. That is how much this team did not scare me going into this game. Yeah. Was it a wake-up call? Oh, hell yes. Yeah. I will fully say that. Trey Young, one thing that you should probably focus on, in my opinion, is knowing that you are playing basketball currently in the New York media. Uh-huh. And the one thing that you don't want to do, even though you did have a game-clinching shot late when time expiring because the Knicks decided not to guard you and let you shoot up an easy shot, and they got the ball back with a tenth of a second left. Point nine. And then they had to do the catch and shoot, which, I mean, they had the guys. They got the, they got the shot off, just not quickly enough. Right. But to immediately turn the crowd and turn to Spike Lee and give the shh. I'll say channeling his inner Reggie Miller. Yeah, you are not Reggie, my friend. You are definitely not on that level yet. When you can make runs deep in the playoffs like Reggie, then you have my permission to do that in the garden. But now you have done something which is very, very foolish and immature in my opinion. So you pissed off the city. You've done pissed off New York City. Because uh, you had New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio uh, today in a press conference while wearing Nick's gear, uh, said, quote, this is very serious. Want to get this message to Trey Young on behalf of the people of New York City and anybody that cares about playing basketball the right way. Stop hunting for fouls, Trey. Close quote. I don't agree with de Blasio about a lot of things, but I will agree with him about that. And he is right because Trey was looking for fouls. That is the only reason the Atlanta was in this game. The Knicks had their runs and were the better team, albeit though they did not perform late to really seal that deal. No, I mean the Knicks had a, the Knicks had a bad night. You know, if if Randall would have scored a little bit more, they would have won handedly. Yeah, you know because oh yeah, Trey had a great game. He kept him in. Yeah, okay. If Trey don't, if if you're relying on Trey Young to be your sole point scorer and keep you in games, you're gonna lose. No, you yeah. need other guys to step up. And the fact that, if, like I said, if we cut Trey's points in half, the Hawks lose by 10, 15 points. Oh, they give, well, the, the, the center factor here is Randall. That is the, the argument here. And sure. I, like, listen, I'm not mad at him. He had a bad night because, you know, he said, he said right in the press conference, I had a bad night. I was pressing too much. I was taking bad shots. Why? 
He understands this. Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, you know, Hank Aaron, you know, Derek Jeter. Every great baseball player has had a golden sombrero, which for those who don't know, 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. Yeah. Ev- happens to everybody. Every professional, probably every professional golfer has had a shit round in a play in a, in a golf tournament or even a major, you know. Roger Federer and, and some of the more famous tennis players have gotten bounced early in a tennis tournament. It happens. Mm-hmm. You know, they are human. They're not perfect. They're not perfect, and we know this. And the one thing, like I say, I applaud Randall for doing it. He owned it. Yeah. He didn't shy away from it. He said, I made some bad shots, decisions. I pressed too much. I know what I did wrong. And he's going to bounce back. I have no doubt about this. And the fact that Trey Young was saying it got real quiet as – uh, to paraphrase a little bit, don't tick off the New York fan base because one thing about the Garden is they don't forget. We don't forget. You can go talk to any Rangers fans. Well, so I just talked to the uh, the Devils and the Capitals for like the next ten years. Exactly. You can talk to any Knicks fan. We remember what happens in the Garden. We remember what happens when you decide to call out the city. Because if you don't understand this, our fan base is very loud when you decide to attack. Especially when they haven't been able to go to a game for like a year and a half, and there's 15,000 of them in there. Exactly. For the first time in a long time, the Knicks are good. Hey, first time, long time. You don't think that they're going to come out there and want to drop a easy 100 in the first half? You have it's just... Like Jordan, Jordan, they're coming for your single-game playoff record. All I'm going to say is this. Come Wednesday night... 7.30 p.m. on TNT, if you're watching. They are going to come out and try to shoot out the building and put an easy 30 up in the first quarter. Current line is New York by two points, with the Knicks being a minus 130 favorite. Yeah, they're going to bounce back about this one because they are motivated to do this. Over-under is 212.5. I'm going to say take the over. I would take the over on this one, too, because the one thing that this team is going to do is, okay, the jitters are off. And note... With all the other basketball games going on right now in the NBA playoffs, mm-hmm. why is everybody on every single sports network talking about this game? Yeah, well, and the thing I would say to the Knicks, if any of this message reaches any of them, use this as motivation. Use it as, quote-unquote, bulletin board material, but don't use it and focus on it to the point where it distracts you. Use it to motivate you. Use it to get you fired up and, like, they don't think we can hang with them. They don't think we belong here. They think we suck. Let's go prove them wrong. That's all fine and good. Don't over-focus on it to the point where you lose focus on what you should be doing. See, I don't think they will because I think Thibodeau is going to bring him back in. And I think that once they get in front of that crowd, and you know that crowd is going to be livid now. Right, but you also got to take care because those opening few minutes of the game – are going to be so crucial for the team to focus so they don't want to go and prove them wrong and jack up threes and monster dunks and, oh, wait, they're missing the threes and they're missing the dunks and they're turning the ball over because they're so the emotions are so high. See, if I was Thibodeau, I would make the call let Derrick Rose start. I, I know I know, he, like, I know he likes having him off the bench, yeah. but listen, I think to— for the, for the instance, it might be smart. I think that would be the move I would do. I'm not a fan, and I know you can talk to a lot of Knicks fans, uh, nothing against uh, Alfred Payton. Not the biggest fan of him starting when he does. So I am just saying, in this circumstance, 
veteran leadership, put, calm head. Put Rose in there. Let him start. I mean, if you got to do a quick sub here and there, sure. But just to get that tempo set early because you know Randall is fired up to get going. Barrett's going to be fired up. Barrett's going to definitely be fired up. And once that crowd starts getting behind him, like if they jump out to a 6 nothing lead, I'm just going to hypothetically say. Sure, sure. That place is going to go unglued. Oh, yeah. And they're going to really test the foundations of the place. Exactly, because they're going to want to make a statement game out of this one. It's a smart play to do. I'm not mad about it if they do, but I just want them to play smart because this is a must-win situation. To mm-hmm. go to Atlanta down yeah. 0-2, yeah. I'm not saying it's going to be a sweep, No. but you're not in the best position to be making a deep run in this place. Well, and we, we knew this series would go the, the full length. Oh, yeah. Well, I said it was going to be Knicks and six. I, and I still stand to that. I think that we could get down to a situation where it's split between Atlanta and yeah. the Knicks coming back on June 2nd. Yeah. Like, I, I could fully see that happening. The Knicks just have to play smart ball. I think they'll do it. And we go from there with that because right now everybody is talking about this. This is not just us yeah. being fans. You go to any single sports program right now. Yeah. Maybe with the exception of a few that were talking about how Milwaukee absolutely destroyed Miami. Oh, my God. But what other story is dominating the news right now? For basketball, it's the it's probably Milwaukee just because that happened more recently or like yeah. later in the night. But, it, it no, it's, it's that and the Knicks. Yes. And that's why we always say about the Knicks when they do well. No, nobody's talking about Brooklyn. No offense, Dre. But nobody's really making some noise about that. I mean, they're making noise in the fact that, hey, look, they got together and they had a pretty good first game together in the playoffs. Yeah. that That's to be fucking expected, though. That's like playing Madden and putting, like, the best player in Madden at every position mm. and going, holy shit, I went undefeated in Madden. Well, no shit. You put, you know, all 90-plus rating guys at every position. Like, no shit you went undefeated. Yeah, I think the story would be telling if Brooklyn lost. Yeah. And then everybody would be really, you know, singling them out. Because, I'm sorry, when you're at a one or two seed and you lose – that's a big deal. Yeah, no, it no is. No matter what, because you're the highest seed for a reason in those divisions. And like I say, for the Knicks, the fact they're in the playoffs doesn't make a noise. The fact they're making a run is making noise. And the fact that Trey Young was foolish enough to make comments, which uh-huh. I am completely surprised that this was not downplayed immediately once I got in the locker room. This is just yeah. going to add fuel to a fire that I don't think anybody wants to deal with. Yeah, well, I think the issue is is you don't have a veteran leadership guy, even if it's not a superstar. You know, a guy like when the Yankees had Carlos Beltran mm-hmm. with them that last year, like a veteran presence in the locker room. You know, there's not a veteran presence guy in that locker room that can pull Trey aside and go, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I mean, Like this is one thing to say in the regular season where we don't see him again for a few months. We're playing these guys in a couple days. Yeah, like Capella and Williams, I think, should have spoke up and said. But, you know, it didn't happen. But, hey, that's just better for us as the Knicks fans because you know we're going to be losing it on Wednesday night. And hey, who would have thought R.J. Barrett got a dunk in the playoffs before Zion did? Facts, Pat. Just saying. Facts. But all that being said, definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the NBA playoffs? And is there any better story going on right now than Trey Young versus New York? Uh, yes, anything Shohei Otani is doing in baseball. Fucking hell. Well, that's baseball, my friend. But we were talking NBA playoffs. Hit us up on that hashtag. Let's continue that conversation. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book, Book of Lies, the podcast where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. 
You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies Podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast and time to talk some wrestling. Wrestling. So this coming Sunday. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. May 30th, live from Jacksonville. It is going to be AEW's Double or Nothing pay-per-view. Uh-huh. So this is going to be going on at Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. Show is scheduled to start at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on pay-per-view. And we are going to actually be live reacting to this on twitch.tv slash 607 podcast. Ah. And in attendance will be the one and only Mike C. from Horizon 607. Oh, boy. Returning. He just returned to the studio after being in quarantine for over a year. Oh, wow. So now he's going to be back because he wants to talk about this card. But we are going to jump and really kind of give our opinions about this match lineup because there's just a lot to digest with yeah. this. Because it's AEW. I know it's not Pad's favorite promotion, but he definitely yep. has got some takes about this. So let us break down the card and give you our thoughts on this. Yeah, so the first match we're going to talk about is for the AEW Tag Team Championship. And you have the Young Bucks defending their belts against the team of John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Okay. So, Pat, have you been watching lately, or do you know about the Bucks' new kind of gimmick they're doing? I just know that they're doing the whole Bullet Club type thing with Gallows, Anderson, and Omega, and Don Callis. They've kind of switched it up a little bit, that they're coming out wearing outfits like the MetLife Gala. Mm. Like, very high fashion. Sure. They had Dior uh, boots. Sure. I think I saw something on Twitter that, like... They, they were saying, one of them was saying that they were going to wear a pair of like really expensive Jordans just to piss off the internet again. Yeah, they were going to, they've been doing this like really different gimmick because they haven't really copied the Bullet Club per se, but it's weird with AEW. And one of the biggest criticisms we have is they like to do a ton of factions, mm-hmm. but yet they don't really follow the storyline path, in my opinion, and it no. kind of goes all over the place. No. So while the Bucks have been champions, they've kind of turned a lot of their attacks towards. John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, who have formed the most entertaining tag team in AEW. Well, that works when you're real good friends with each other. Oh, it is, and the promo works are fantastic. Eddie Kingston, God bless the Mad King. This match, though, has been a little build-up. How they've gotten here was a little different, but they have jumped the line and been now in place for a title shot. Yes, I'm reading from the preview on CBSSports.com. It says, after the Bucks retained their titles against the Varsity Blondes, God, that's an awful name, Moxley and Kingston attacked. That was a continuation of the ongoing issues between Moxley and Kingston and the Elite. Now Moxley and Kingston will be looking to capture tag team gold by taking out the most established team on the AEW roster. So feelings on this one, Pad? Uh, change it up. Don't really care for the Bucks. Moxley Kingston. I'm going to go Moxley Kingston, too, except I will say I have one major gripe against AEW right now. Sure. Why did we take away John Moxley's music mm. and get the imitation Wild Thing theme from Major League? It is what it is. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of it. It's no disrespect to the artist that made that cover. I'm just not a fan of them using Wild Thing. I wish they just went back to his original AEW theme for this. Which is great to work out, too. Oh, it's an amazing track. Shout out to Mikey Ruckus. He does follow us on Twitter. But this is going to be a fun match. I'm excited to see it, and I'm hoping it's end new for Tag Team Champions because I think that Moxley and Kingston could do wonders with the belt. Uh, next up, you have a cinematic match, or what I'm presuming is going to be a cinematic no, match. No, it's not. Oh, okay. Buckle bombs galore. 
Uh, you're having oh. e- Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky take on the team of Darby Allen and Sting. So this is just a weird feud to me. Yeah, I so the only thing I know about this was Scorpio Sky did an interview with somebody today. I don't know who. Uh, but he got a text from somebody in WWE who said Sting was their favorite wrestler. Don't hurt him. Well, Sting is 61 years old. I believe he's turning 62 very shortly if he hasn't already. To see him actually going to be in a ring, and they have said this is not going to be a cinematic match, that this is going to be a real Yikes. wrestling match. Yikes. It does scare me a little bit because he, since he's come to AEW, he has been mentoring Asterix. I'm fearing they're going to do a the storyline that he's somehow yeah. related to Darby and, yeah. and they're going to do something like that. That he's been palling around with Darby Allen and kind of guiding him on his way as Darby has been uh, on the road to the TNT Championship. Yeah. He yeah. won it until he just lost it a few weeks ago to Miro. So this has been a continuation of that because Scorpio Sky, ever since they he broke away from SCU, is kind of in, in flux right now. Right. And Ethan Page, who debuted not too long ago in AEW, and leaving a great tag team in Impact Wrestling, the North, to now be in another tag team per se, yeah. question mark. It's very puzzling to see. So that all being said, what feelings you got on this match, Pat, if uh, anything? Uh, I have no idea how this is going to go, and quite frankly, I don't care. I'm going to say Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky are going to win, but they're going to pin Darby Allen. I think so, too. I think Sting's going to be very limited, as he should be. This is not a disrespect to the man. He's a legend in the business. But wrestling at this kind of pace at 61 years old does scare me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you saw it with Flair in his final match, his retirement match at WWE, where he admits it, Shawn Michaels admits it, Shawn carried that match. Flair was basically useless. For as good as that match is, Flair was basically useless for that match just because he had nothing left in the tank. He couldn't go anymore. Sting looks great in the matches he's had in AEW, but they've been cinematic matches. Yeah. So you're offered the benefit of, all right, cut. All right, Neil, take five. Catch your breath. We can get back at this. We're like, you can't yell cut. You can't stop the match so you can catch your breath and kind of recover from a bump you just took. Yeah. So that being said, I'm hoping Paige and Sky, I'm fearing it's going to be Darby and Sting. Or it's going to be a double knockout. Who knows? Well, I mean, they could they could try doing that, but then it's like, who's going to be the mystery person to come in and ruin the feud? I think this kind of gets tied up, and like I said, they got to do something with Paige and Sky to have them just sitting there Fallen by the wayside is a travesty, in my opinion. Yeah. Next up. Uh, you have the stadium stampede match taking place between the inner circle and the pinnacle. Okay. So this match. Uh, uh, clusterfuck is the word you're looking for? Well, we have to take it back to when they did the first stadium stampede, which was a cinematic extravaganza. Wasn't that the one where some dude got hit by a golf cart? Facts. Okay. We had Matt Hardy do three incarnations of Matt Hardy in a hot tub that was turned into the Lake of Incarnation. Yeah. Uh, or reincarnation, I should say, rather. Um, yeah. This match has been building because MJF broke away from the inner circle to form his own group. With, so he McFoley'd Chris Jericho. Yeah, he threw him off the top of a cage and the first ever Blood and Guts, a.k.a. Imitation War Games match. War Games. War Games. So this one, I think is the stakes are a little high because it has been said that if the inner circle loses, they are done being a, a faction in AEW. They're done forever. Well, so that wouldn't be the worst thing because, face it, too many factions. Oh, I agree. And I almost have to wonder if they would actually do this because this faction has been around since the first night of Dynamite. 
Mm-hmm. So it's definitely ran a very long course. Yeah. We do know that they are prime in position to push MJF a little forward in the title hunt picture, mm-hmm. which they should because yeah. he's arguably one of their best people that is not featured enough on TV, in my opinion. Yeah. But that all being said, I think this is going to be a fun match if you like cinematic cinematic matches. Yeah. I am not the biggest fan of them. I'm sorry. It kind of stops for me at The Undertaker versus AJ Styles. It's hard to top that, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the best one. I mean, I thought that when the Hardy compound did it, it was cool. Nobody tops the Boneyard match. No. Nobody. No. And, and the Firefly Funhouse is on a whole different level, so that's why I can't yeah. compare them. Yeah. But this one, all being said... Who you got for this, Pat? Uh, I'm going to say Pinnacle. I mean, the thing with Inner Circles, like you said, they've been around since day one of Dynamite. And what have they really done in terms of being a, a memorable faction? You mm. know, you look at some of the factions that have come out over the years. You know, we've got New Day who've done their whole thing, and they've they've had a great run. They'll be they're being remembered for the rest of time. Sure. But you look at NWO, Christ Almighty, I don't need to say anymore. DX, The Shield. You know, you could look at various other teams and factions that have made a big impact on, in varying degrees, throughout the history of professional wrestling. Inner Circle, I feel like, doesn't really crack into that list, where it's like, they haven't really done anything noteworthy. They haven't done anything that's really memorable, unless you're a super diehard uh, Inner Circle mark. You know, so time has come, move, move on and split the group up. I think that they've been around so long, you have to break them up here. I think that they had their best stretch run when they were leading into uh, Jericho yeah. and Moxley when Moxley yeah. first came in, yeah. and they were kind of teasing around that. Well, they're also at the point where it's like it was kind of like with the Shield and Roman Moxley now Dean then and Seth like they've fucking done everything together. Like, yeah. What else is left for them to do? Well, that's the situation they're stuck in now. And, and I think it's another drawback of AEW is they just have too many factions. Yeah. And I think that waters down a lot of the storylines you can do. Yeah. Because let's face it, if the Pinnacle loses now, they just got established. They just had the big win at Blood and Guts. Well, where do you go with this feud if the Inner Circle wins? You've already done the quote-unquote craziest match you can do. You've done war games. You've, yeah. Now you've done a cinematic stampede. What else is there? And I think it would be good to break them up a little bit, but then you run into the problem of, okay, once they break up, how does everybody shake out? Right. Because can Jake Hager hang on his own in AEW? We'll, or, we'll say. Yeah, or, or can Sammy Guevara, who I think has a bright future in AEW, make a run and like would he, they start setting him up against MJF? Yeah. And – Arguably, I think the biggest travesty is Santana and Ortiz. I can't even remember if they've gotten a title shot yet for the tag team t- belts. They're fantastic. Why have they not gotten in the title picture? Maybe this would be something after they lose, because I think that this is going to be pinnacle to win, and I think that they have to at this point. And then you ride off the inner circle and in a great way because yeah. they've had a long run. Oh, yeah. And then, obviously, wrestling, they could always reform later, but yep. that's what it is. Yep. Next up. Uh, is for the TNT Championship, where you have Miro defending his belt against Lance Archer. This is my match of the night. Okay. Super excited about this one. They finally let Miro be a badass. He hasn't been sitting around since he came in. He was Kip Saban's best man. Yeah. And they're doing the whole arcade games and all that yeah. jazz. Which, listen, that's cool if you do it outside of the ring, but if that's not supposed to be your persona in the ring... You know, you kind of have to establish, okay, who are you supposed to be? Because they finally nailed it when he finally went in and was the monster, the Bulgarian brute that we haven't seen in a long-ass time. Right, right. And after he beat the absent 
absolutely crap out of Darby Allen. Absolute crap. I'm making up words because that's how excited I am that Miro is finally doing something. So now he's won the belt. And then lo and behold, they have Lance Archer, who has been great since coming over to the company. Yeah. That I'll, I'll be honest. I hadn't seen a lot of him prior to. We've seen him at Wrestle Circus a couple times. Sure. Nothing really in New Japan. Nothing really to kind of stand out going like, wow. But he's been a lot better since he's been in AEW. This is going to be the hardest hitting match of the night. I honestly don't know how this is going to go because I hate to see Miro be one and done. I wouldn't mind seeing some wacky hijinks going on in yeah. this feud extending into summer. Yeah. Because I think that'd be a smarter play. I think it's going to end up being Miro just because the internet wrestling community has been kind of shitting on Miro a little bit just with how long it's taken him to do anything in, in AEW that, you know, he kind of took his ball and left when it came to WWE. You know, I can prove to you I'm doing better. And then you proceeded to kind of sit on the sidelines for six, nine months, whatever it is, and not really do anything. And then he finally won the belt, and you had a, a mix of people going, hey, yay, congratulations, you won a belt. To which you had the other portion of people going, hey, yay, about fucking time you did something. Yeah. So I think they're, you know, the powers that be are going to want to show, hey, listen, he's not just a name we brought in here to kind of fluff up our roster and make us look good. He can actually go. Yeah, and I think, this is, like I said, this is my pick for match of the night. I think this is going to be – Phenomenal! It's gonna be hard hitting as all blazes. I hope they give him a lot of time to work with. Yeah, and really tell a great story. And Miro for the win all yeah. day. Uh, next up is the Casino Battle Royale, uh, where you had the participants are Christian Cage, Matt Seidel, Powerhouse Hobbs, Penta L Zero, uh, Jungle Boy, Matt Hardy, Mark Quinn, Isaiah Cassidy, The Blade, Evil Uno, Colt Cabana, Preston Vance, Griff Garrison, The Brian Pillman Jr., Max Caster. Anthony Bowens, QT Marshall, Nick Camaroto, Dustin Rhodes, Lee Johnson, and TBA. Now, according to the press release here from CBSSports.com, one of the staples of AEW pay-per-view events returns as competitors will battle for a future shot at the AEW championship. So somebody is going to get a title shot at the end of all this. Mm -hmm. And this is a great way to start the show. I think this will be the official pre-match show you know they usually do the buy-in it usually it usually is they kind of do it in a weird thing where they have every like five wrestlers come to the ring at once yeah i hope they clean that up a little bit yeah so that being said i'm going to take the mystery opponent because we don't know who that is albeit though if it's max caster from the acclaimed Mm. i will mark out because his raps to the ring pad i know you have not caught them i think i saw a clip of it Phenomenal. Well, I was. What did he go do it to Moxley and Kingston last week? Yes, he did. I saw the clip of that. Yes, where where he called because he called out Renee. Yep, he called out uh, Moxley's wife, uh, Renee, and Renee was like, "Hey, thanks for the free publicity." Yes, Caster is fantastic. I would love to see him get this. I'd love to see Penta get this as well too. But Penta would be good. Penta would be good because now he's just kind of getting lost in the shuffle a little bit as well, too. Sounds like a lot of people in that uh, company. Well, it's the one thing when, in my opinion, they just don't have that clear-cut voice. Yeah. Like, like we have talked about this numerous times. Yeah. They just don't have that head of creative per se. They have a lot of people that have their inputs in storylines and such, and I just think that if they cleaned up their storylines and made them a little more focused, then you can get that sense of, like, what the direction is going to be. Because my fear is this is going to be whoever the new signee is going to be. Now, I'm saying signee because I feel that they've probably made a deal with somebody to come into AEW. Could be. Now, 
I want to stress this. I don't believe this is anybody from the WWE recent releases. No. Because they're, they're all under uh, 90-day non-compete clauses. Right, which, if memory serves me, is up July 14th. Yeah, although the only instance I know of one that's up sooner is Alexander Wolf, who I believe is June 15th. Yeah, I, I, his his because his his isn't he's under the ninety day no compete. That's just when his contract ends. Yeah, his contract just ran out, so he doesn't have the release going. But that being said, I think that this could be Andrade. Could be because allegedly be. he has the he had his ninety day no compete waived. Well, yeah, and he's got a match a setup with Kenny Omega in AAA or something yep, like in that. August fourteenth. Yeah. Yep. So Andrade, yeah, no, that's that send some shockwaves through the uh, internet. Well, I think it would be a smart move that if they are going to sign him, and then you can kind of build that feud up a little bit, it would make sense. It'd be like a Moxley like entrance when Moxley made his debut too. Yeah, if well, if you leave him for last for that last because there's always that last spot that comes out, you know. By, oh, you know they're by, do by themselves. That would be smart to do. I mean, I just can't see anybody else that would generate that big of a buzz. Negative one. That's not well. Negative one would be because awesome. I saw on Reddit the other day that. He officially got uh, his own entrance music. Yeah, that was an awesome. So thing I'm, I'm going to say uh, probably Andrade. I'm going to say probably Andrade is the TBA spot, but just for grins and giggles, I'm going to say negative one because yeah. why the fuck not? No, I'll give you that. I, I will say I will take the TBA, and I'm going to say Andrade. So interesting to see how this all plays yeah. out. Uh, next up, you have Adam Hangman Page taking on Brian Cage. Okay, this is going to be a great match, but the storyline buildup is a little odd. Because Hangman Adam Page was the number one contender for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And then he wrestled Brian Cage, and Cage squashed him on the beginning of a dynamite, if I'm not mistaken. Like, took him out in three minutes. Yeah. So, obviously, he's no longer number one contender. If memory serves me right, Page is four, Cage is five. So, now this is like a battle for respect that Page wants to rematch. Yeah. Although, let's remember, AEW rankings matter as much as uh, the UFC do. Oh, ex- exactly. So, this is what the whole storyline is being based off of. And, like, the challenge was because uh, Cage has Team Taswim, leave him in the back, let's do this one-on-one, and let's see who's the real better man. So this should be a great match, though. I'm excited to see it. Um, I think Page goes over because I think he's due to get pushed finally. So hopefully that happens. I don't know what you think about that, Pat. Oh, piss break match. Don't care. Wow. Wow. All right, then. Fair enough. Next up is the match everyone's excited for. Everyone's talking about it. Best match of the year. I'm kidding. Uh, it's Cody Rhodes taking on Anthony Agogo. <sighs> okay. So this match has had absolutely abysmal buildup. I'll say, let me just, I'll just read off the article from CBSSports.com. Uh, Agogo is part of the factory and recently laid out Rhodes with a body punch. Rhodes responded with an oddly patriotic promo announcing the match, saying that he would assume his father's nickname of the American Dream for the match. Rhodes has been tangled up with the factory with factory leader QT Marshall, and this is the next step in that story. Oddly, that's a simplified version. Oddly patriotic promo is probably the nicest way to put whatever he was trying to get over a couple weeks back, because that was one of the most odd things I've heard trying to sell a storyline that nobody was buying into. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't watch AEW, but I do peruse the Squared Circle subreddit, which is very uh, leaning AEW when it comes to, like, the night of and day after. A lot of threat, threat posts on there about it. Even the folks who on the Squared Circle subreddit who lean positive on AEW more often than not 
didn't like that promo. Was there, there was a long thread that was basically like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. Rich from 3FN dived deep into that a couple weeks back after it happened on 607 TWS. So if you want to hear a really good take, go find that episode. Because trust me, he broke it down very, very eloquently about how much he missed the mark. And I agree, too, because they tried making this into a Rocky Four remake. That a Gogo, who prior to a couple weeks since that promo, has never really spoken in a promo on air that I've heard. I'll be honest. I don't watch AEW, but I, at least when I see names, I know folks. Like, looking uh, back at the uh, Casino Battle Royale, you know, I've heard of probably half, three-quarters of these names. I don't even know who the fuck this guy is. He's a former Olympic boxer from Great Britain. Sure. So, but the thing about him is, he came in and they paired him off in the the factory faction, yeah, which yeah, is a spinoff of the gym, yeah, yeah. spinoff the Nightmare Family. Like it's just again, once we have factions, they're messy. People get lost in the shuffle. A go go. If you read his tweets right after this, he sells himself as the baby face of the right, the, which ain't what it's supposed to be. Yeah, he's supposed to be the heel, but in my opinion, this is the other way around. I am just hoping for one short pyro. Two, good fucking luck. Yeah. Two, a go, go, go over. Because let's face it, if Cody wins, you've now had a guy that was supposed to be the next big thing, allegedly, mm-hmm. lose in his first big primetime match. Isn't this been a narrative of AEW? Yeah. I mean, you have the big debut, and then somebody. We'll say it's, it's supposed to be the alternative. It's supposed to be the spot where you know everybody gets a shot, and it's not the same stuff you're used to. But having a guy come up, make his quote-unquote main roster debut, if you want to call it that, only to lose on his first big televised match, boy, doesn't that sound familiar from the last 15, 20 years with WWE. Just saying. So that one, I think a go-go has to win. I'm I just, I'm really fearing if Cody does. And that statement's not re- uh, reserved for just a John Cena. No, definitely not. Next up. Uh, is for the AEW Women's Championship, where Hikaru Shida, who I saw the other day, is b- officially been defending the belt for one calendar year. Yep. Uh, is defending her belt against Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. And to quote Mr. John Cena, the time is now. Britt Baker all day. After having a match of the year candidate with Thunder Rosa, which does not get enough credit for how amazing it was on March 17th. The unsanctioned match? Right. Freaking fantastic. I, I can't recommend that enough. Baker has finally been pushed to the title picture, which has been long overdue for her. Nothing against her, Karo Shida. She's been a great champion as well. Mm-hmm. But it's time to switch up the belt. It's time to really push Britt Baker as yeah. the champion yeah. and let her run with it because she's arguably their best heel. Yeah, You can argue this with MJF, but she has been doing phenomenal work. This is going to be a great match. I'm excited for it. And let's see what happens here. But I'm going to call N new all day, every day for this. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. You know, without, again, don't watch much AEW, but just Takaru's had the belt for a year, put some fresh blood in the system, see what Britt Baker can do with it. And I've caught some promos she had that are rather amusing, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, I think they can really have some fun with it and really go some places with it. And like you said, she had that memorable match, the unsanctioned match. I think you can have more of those memorable matches with her. Absolutely. So, you know, bring it on, and I cannot wait to see what happens in the Baker era. Just saying. But we get to the main event now, finally. This one should be real good. Uh, This is for the AEW World Championship, where Kenny Omega is defending his belt in a triple threat against Orange Cassidy and Pac. 
So this one kind of got thrown together a little oddly. That it was mentioned on the night of Blood and Guts that they were going to do a number one contender match, and whoever won the belt was going, or won the match was going to get a shot at the belt between Orange Cassidy and Pac. During that match, uh, unfortunately, Orange Cassidy got knocked out right. with, a, with a very vicious powerbomb. Legit. It's, it's an accident, but it happened. And they ruled it a no contest, as they should. And it was now made into a triple threat match between Pac, Cassidy, and Kenny Omega. Which you know shenanigans are going to get involved with this match. Well, you know something weird is going to happen. And I guess the original plan, regardless of what happened to Cassidy in the ring, was it was going to be a triple threat no matter what, if you believe, sure. believe all the rumors. Sure. Which I fully do. And it just seems kind of odd that these two were pushed up that high to the card. It's nothing against Cassidy. I'm a huge Orange Cassidy fan. And Pac has already faced off with Omega a few times. But with Omega now currently in this belt collector run, and Uh obviously with the burial that he's done on Impact Wrestling, sorry, it's facts. This is a very interesting match to me that you've made this a triple threat. Omega has already been touted that he's going to be facing Andrade down in AAA right. for, um, in August. So we do know that's going to happen. We do know he's scheduled for a title match against Moose, I yep. believe, in Impact in June. Yep. So I'm not saying they're telegraphing anything, but once you have all those other belts on the line, it's kind of like, okay, can he continue the streak of being the best bout machine and mm-hmm. being the dominant champion in every single organization he's in? I feel that the fact they've made this a triple threat – I think he loses. Could be. I think he loses the AEW title, and I think he loses it to Orange Cassidy. Mm. Because what they can do, and this is not unheard of, they'll have him lose on Sunday night, and guess when the next Dynamite happens, you have an automatic rematch, Cassidy versus Omega. Yeah. No, I mean, this is, to me, the best matchup they could have made because Kenny Omega, obviously, they're pushing him real hard, belt collector, win every belt that's not in WWE. And then you have Orange Cassidy, who, let's face it, even me, who doesn't watch, is sitting there like he is the hottest wrestler on the internet, not named Roman Reigns, Mm -hmm. that everybody loves. Fantastic freaking work. Funny as all hell that, you know, we've sat here going, why the hell are they not pushing this guy? Like, everybody loves the hell out of him. You know, don't push him to the moon, but, like, do something more than what you've been doing with him. And even Pac, I think you can put in the same light, like, you touted the hell out of this when you brought him in. And he's done fuck all since he got there. I know he's had some matches, and I know he's not been sitting on the sidelines. But it's nothing noteworthy to break through the noise. So to me, this is the best matchup they could have done because it features your your championship, your champion, you know, the guy you're pushing hard, your standard bear. And it pushes two of the biggest guys that on that roster that aren't in the elite, that mm-hmm. aren't, you know, coming out of that quote-unquote factory or that creation chamber. You know, but that being said, I'm going to go with you. I think there's going to be, because you got to, you know, Gallows, Anderson, the Bucks, Don Callis are all going to get involved for, because triple threat, anything goes. Mm -hmm. You know, the quote unquote bullet club, whatever they want to call themselves, you know, in uh, Gallows, Anderson, Bucks, and Callis are going to get involved. You know, some of Cassidy's friends are going to get involved. You got to figure Pac's going to have some guys, because hadn't he teamed with the, uh, uh, the, Ray Phoenix, yeah, Death Ray, Triangle. Ray Phoenix, you know, the, the, he's going to have guys involved. So this is going to be a clusterfuck of guys running to the ring trying to run interference. But I think in the midst of that clusterfuck and that kind of scramble, Cassidy's going to come out on top because the internet will melt down. Oh, yeah, I think they wanted to get something to generate some headlines. I don't think it'll last long term, but I think no. they'll, they'll do Which something. Which is a shame, but I get it. 
Yeah, but it's AEW. So, I mean, they're going to try doing something a little funny for it. We'll definitely have a lot to say about it on the live stream. So, if you're not following twitch.tv slash 607podcast already, what are you waiting for? We will be live reacting to this on Sunday night. And like we say, you can watch AEW wherever you watch fine pay-per-views. And we are not going to be showing any footage there. No, no. We support the product. We pay for it. But we're not going to be showing it to you for free. We'll give you our live reactions on that date. But we want to wait. We don't want to wait till then. We want to hear what is your picks for AEW's Double or Nothing. Who's winning, who's losing, and why. Let's have the conversation on social media. Remember, use the hashtag ODPHPod. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome to our channel, The Nerd Crusade. I'm Beastie Boy. I'm Table. I'm Red. It is I, Shino Brando. We discuss topics from across the nerdiverse, from video games, anime, comics, and more. And if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter at Crusade Nerd, on Instagram at Nerd Crusade, on Twitch, 8 p.m. Mountain Standard Time every single week. You can find us wherever podcasts are found by searching Nerd Crusade. And that's to be continued. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Let's round the bases and take it home. Got to talk a little bit of local minute uh, because the Binghamton Rumble Ponies are home this weekend. Oh. Uh, so their schedule is as follows. Uh, their first game is taking place uh, tonight as we record, Tuesday, uh, May 25th. Uh, they're playing the playing Akron for all of these games. Uh, so the times are as follows. Uh, 6.35 p.m. Eastern on the 25th. Uh, on the 26th, it is a double header. Uh, so the first game is at 5.35 p.m. Eastern time. Game two, uh, to be determined, I presume it's probably going to be about a half hour, 45 minutes. I forget what it is for minor league baseball. It's like a half hour, 45 minutes uh, after the final first game ends, which uh, minor league baseball only goes seven innings. So mm. for double headers, keep that in mind. Uh, the 27th, uh, the game time is 6.35 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Uh, Friday the 28th, game time 7.05 uh, p.m. Eastern Time. Saturday, the 29th, game time is 6.35 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, and then Sunday, the 30th, game time, 6.35 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, ticket information and all that more, that and more, bingrp.com. So that being said, let us go into the first base, and I guess I could kick it off? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So there, there was some MMA news going on this weekend. So obviously we had a UFC fight night take place at the Apex on the 22nd. With your main event, Rob Font, yeah, upsetting Cody Garbrandt in the bantamweight division by dominant fashion. I gotta say, Twitter let me down on that one because I was hanging out with my girlfriend, wasn't watching the card, we were watching movies, uh, and we got done with the movie and looking for something to watch. I said, "Oh, main event of UFC card starting. You got to cut, you know, the Brett Akimoto with Ariel Hawani's and Dana White's are hyping up. All oh, this is gonna be a banger of a fight. You gotta watch this." It was good. It wasn't what they sold it to be. No, it definitely wasn't what they sold it to be. And it was surprising because Garbrandt had been long thought that, you know, the UFC does like him very much. And he's an exciting fighter. He does a lot of stand-up. He's not going to win any jiu-jitsu battles or anything like that. Yeah, You need to come into grips with that when you're seeing him fight. But he was just completely outclassed in this one. And Rob Font with a huge upset. Like I, I have to think this definitely throws a wrench in some plans for the bantamweight division. And also, during that card, a surprise announcement of a retirement, Paul Felder retiring from MMA. So, obviously, he's always been in the lightweight division. He's always been somebody that was scrap. He's definitely put on some memorable performances. Retiring with a record of 17-6, and uh, 37 years old. But you know what? As he said in the quote, I don't have a burning desire to fight yeah. anymore for yeah. years to come or become an, and become a champion. I always said if I don't see the title picture in a year in, in the future, I would retire and do so with my uh, for my friends and family and myself. 
So you know what? He's going out on the right note. He's, yeah, he's been in some great fights. Oh yeah, he has. You know, and you got to respect him. He knows it's time. The fire's gone. I, I believe he even said, you know, adding on to that, that they didn't cite in the article because I, I caught the clip. He even said that, like, after his last fight, he just couldn't get motivated to train and, and was kind of relegating himself to, like, jogging and biking and, like, nothing real heavy and intense. And and plus the other thing, too, is he always said to himself, like, when it came time, he didn't want to hold up the division. And, and he knows there are some younger, hungrier guys behind him that are looking to move up in the rankings, and he doesn't want to hold those guys back. And you know what? I don't fault him at all. And if you're not in it to win it and your heart's not there, you shouldn't stick around too long. That Don't Chuck Liddell it. Yeah, you don't want to be there too long. That You know that you can go out when you're still in good health, and he still is. Go out on top when people have good memories of you, and don't stay around too long so where people go, oh, my God, why are you still fighting? Yeah, and the thing about him, too, is he's great on commentary. Oh, my God, yeah. So it's not a bad thing to transition to that game. He does have a lot of fight knowledge to it. Yeah. And you know what? I'm excited to see him for this next future, and thank you for what you've done to the sport. Yeah. Like I say, always an entertaining fighter, no matter when you saw him in the cage. Yeah, and I think he's going to stay. It sounded like he's going to stick around with ESPN because he didn't say as much, but he said, you know, you're not going to see the last of this mug. You know, I'm still going to be around. And it kind of, it, so it kind of sounds like he's going to be sticking with ESPN doing the commentary thing. Yes, which I am all for. So you know what? Hats off to him and definitely yeah. celebrate retirement. And one last one, because I know we talked some boxing. Yeah. And now, I mean, a little wrench in the plans yet thrown again in the heavyweight division, but it is apparently signed Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Well, so you call this a wrench. I call this a cruise ship getting thrown in the whole system. Yeah, I mean, this has been a little crazy because originally it was reported that Joshua and Fury were going to fight this summer in Saudi Arabia, but the deal apparently fell through. I'll say this, this is like that, that uh, cargo ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is a kind of mess. Yeah, so reasons happen that this did not go down, so we don't know what exactly it is, but the pen has been signed to the paper. The fight is going to be taking place July 24th between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. This is going to be an absolute trilogy fight for the ages. If you haven't seen these two fight before, it's definitely going to be something must-watch TV. It'll be dominating social media that night. And where we go from there is going to be anybody's guess because boxing is always kind of crazy when you get to the heavyweight division. Yeah, yeah. But definitely some entertaining fights, and Triple G still beat Canelo. Just going to put that out there (laughs) forever, all day, every day. Pat, what you got? I got to talk a little bit of baseball because we mentioned a couple weeks ago that the Oakland A's would be looking at moving uh, out of their home in Oakland to, if they don't get another stadium, to another city entirely. Uh, And it looks like some uh, executives, team executives, are making some early moves on that. CBS Sports uh, is reporting that team executives will travel to Las Vegas and Portland. Uh, and they will hear pitches from both cities. Uh, the article says, quote, This week a four-person traveling A's party led by owner Josh Fisher will visit Las Vegas, according to Oregon Live and Fox KTVU. Next month, the club will make its official visit to Portland, Oregon, where team president Dave Caval, vice president Billy Bean, and executive Sandy Dean are set to make the trip. Uh, so got some movements on there. I know there's some dude named Russell Wilson. Uh, who's making a big push for them to come to Portland? Yeah, that's definitely happening. I mean, it, it's for the push for Portland. That is, it's still yeah. sad to hear they're leaving yeah. Oakland, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's messy, but it, let's face it: if they move, the city's got no one to blame but themselves from the sound of things. Yeah, exactly. Like I say, I can't be too mad about it, but it's just disheartening for a fan base that's as loyal and as passionate and as everything that they present 
when you go to Oakland. Yeah. That uh, obviously, if they go to Vegas too, I mean, that's the double, yeah. that's a double whammy. Yeah. Man. Absolutely wild to see. Yep. So that all being said, the music you heard on this edition of the ODPH podcast is that of Brian Wolf. Now, he has got some new tunes kicking up. I don't have any release dates just yet. We're trying to pry him out of Brian, but he's like soon, very soon. Because he's working on that Nickelback cover. Oh, I know. I tried telling him about that Patreon. I thought uh, he was going to actually throw something at me at the bar. I legit thought it was going to happen because he kind of looked and was like, no. It's never happening. It's not going to happen. I'm like, but for the right amount of money on Patreon, can we make it happen? And he kind of paused, and they still said no. But if you want to take your shot at trying doing that, where do you go to find out everything about Brian Wolf? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over the music section, and you go check out everything going on with Brian. Shout out the robots. They're amazing, guys. They have new dates getting announced that they're going to be playing out because as restrictions are getting lifted here in the Empire State, that means more places are going to open up, and that means that they're going to be back out on the road. And if you haven't seen Shout Live, Holy shit, what are you missing? I try not swearing too much, but man, they get me going about that. You can also check out everything going on with Second Suitor, Floodlands, Yard Party, who we got a little big announcement going on with them later this summer as well. And the one and only Tom Jolu, who swung by the ODPH studio this week to talk about the new album, Fool's Friends and the Great Beyond. Mm. So the first single, Twilight Zone, is out on streaming right now. Go to Spotify Go listen to it. If you go find the the podcast liner notes, it's right there for Tom Jolie. You can find out everything going on with him and definitely go support him because he's got amazing music coming out. Also, while you're at the ODPH or podcast.com, because once you get from the music, you want to go to the directory. There's so much going on. I kind of stumble my words at times, but don't worry. That's why you click on the page and you can find it for yourself. Everything that we have going on with Friends of the Show, Organizational Link Support, and Black Lives Matter, all the amazing pod groups we are in. Shout out to the Apocalypse. Shout out to Inner Circle. And of course, shout out to hashtag 607 Podcast and our guys over at 8122 Productions. Rich, Ron, Mike C. back in the studio for the first time in over a year. And the one and only hashtag Big Natty Cool still on Twitter pad. Good lord. And he has shirts now. That, de- that's dangerous. It's dangerous. They got a lot of stuff lined up over at 8122 Productions. You definitely want to swing on over and see what they got going on. All of that, the T Public store, and so much more at odphpodcast.com. And I will be remiss if I did not give another shout out to everybody involved with live stream for the cure. That happened this weekend on Twitch. Pad, the amount of money that they raised this year was a record setter. Okay. $18,000. Oh. Yes. That's awesome. It was amazing to see all the content creators involved and Nick, Dan, Gerald, Justin, and the team over there that puts this together every year. We are super honored that we were invited to be on the show and close it down which we definitely had everybody in the chat throwing their picks in for the best and the worst of 1980s pro wrestlers. Because trust me, that was a lively discussion. We will be getting that in podcast form in the very near future, so you'll hear that here on the ODPH Network. But I definitely want to shout those guys out again and everybody that donated, shared, and promoted the event. It couldn't have been done without you, and this raise $18,000 for the Cancer Research Institute is pretty fucking awesome. So shout out to everybody on that. That's all I got for this week. So for the one and only, Padawan J. Breaking news. Congratulations to uh, New York Knicks all-star Julius Randle, 2020-2021 Most Improved Player of the Year Award. Mackey's Coach Duffy, where we at? New York forever. Taking game two. Blowing them out by 30. You heard it here first. I'm your host, Kenan. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Go, New York. Go, New York. Go. See you next time.